Welcome back to another episode of the Nighttime Short Stories Podcast with your host, me, Ash Balls. This is a podcast where every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I read a short story or poetry written by an author from long ago or a modern-day author. If you are an author and would like your short stories or poetry showcased on the podcast, you can get a hold of us in the link in the bio. Thank you to everyone who listens from iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and anywhere else you might be listening from. I truly do appreciate it. And with that, let's get started, shall we? This week's author... I think there needs to be more written about, more often about his works, and that he should be even more respected and well-known. But the writer for this week is still alive. His name is Thomas Ligotti. He was born July 9th, 1953 in Detroit, Michigan. He's known for being a fiction, fantasy, and horror writer, but he actually also writes poetry, which I think is really cool. And he's collaborated with musicians as well. He's a socialist. Um, He suffers from anxiety, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but anhedonia, which is the inability to experience pleasure. But he has won three Bram Stoker Awards. And I think he is someone that sort of stands out among a lot of others as someone who writes very uniquely and... I think you guys are really going to like him. And if you enjoy it, please make sure that you check out more of his works besides what I read here tonight. So let's get started, shall we? Gothic Horror The room in the tower seemed to have closed in upon him while he slept, so he measured it off again and found its dimensions to be unchanged. His mind still uneasy, he measured it a second time and then a third. Then he awoke and measured it off a fourth time in the room in the tower. I'm measuring my own coffin, he whispered to himself while staring intently at the splotched stones on the floor. Once again, he examined every bare corner of his cell. Then he wandered over to the low, handleless door shaped like an arch, and laying his cheek against the heavy splintered wood, he squinted through the tiny openings in the iron grill, surveying the circular corridor of the tower. First he gazed in one direction and then shifting over to the opposite side of the grill in the other. Both directions offered the same view. Cell door after cell door, each with an armed guard beside it, each progressively shrinking in the circular perspective of the corridor. It was the uppermost level of a castle's highest tower, a quiet place when all the prisoners were at rest. Then a tight-lipped man broke the silence, walking him a second time from a second sleep. He measured off the dimensions of his cell once more, examining every bare corner, then surveyed the circular corridor through the tiny openings of the iron grill. Once again, he wandered over to the arch-shaped window of his prison cell. This aperture, the only means of escape aside from the low door, was constructed to include four pairs of sharp metal spikes, two pairs projecting from the right and the left sides, two closing it from its top and bottom, and all forming a kind of cross whose parts did not quite join together. But these pointed impediments 
notwithstanding there remained a perilous descent groundward no means for securing either grip or foothold crucial for both the climb were offered by the castle's outer walls nor was there any possibility of concealment even one may especially during the darkest of the castle's watchful nights beyond the windows was a lofty view of sunlit mountains blue sky rustling forest a seemingly endless tableau of nature which in other circumstances might have been considered sublime in the present circumstances the mountains and forests perhaps the sky itself seemed populated with human enemies and natural obstacles which made the mere dream of escape an impossibility someone was now shaking him and he was awoke it was the dead of night Outside the window, a bright crescent moon was fixed in the blackness. Within the room were two guards and a hooded figure holding a lamp. One of the guards pinned the dreamer to the floor, while the other reached underneath his ragged shirt, relieving him of his hidden weapon he had recently formed out of a fragment from the stone walls of the tower room. Don't worry, the guard said. We've been watching you. Then the hooded figure waved the lamp towards the doorway, and the prisoner was carried out. His feet was dragging over the dark stones of the floor. From the rim of the tower, they descended by means of countless stone staircases and long torchlit passages to the deepest part of the castle, far underground. This area was a complex, vast chambers, each outfitted from its cold earthen floor to its lofty, almost indescribable ceiling with formidable array of devices. In addition to the incense incessant echoes of an icy seepage dripping from above the only other distinguishable sound was the crackling of this incredible system of machinery with the refrain now and then of an open mouth groan his body was put in a harness and hoisted so that the tips of his toes barely gazed the floor the hooded figure though sequence of signals directed the proceedings during a lull in his agony the prisoner once again tried to explain to his persecutors their error that he was not who they thought he was and he was suffering another man's punishment are you certain of that asked the hooded figure speaking the almost kindly tone of voice which he had never used before at these words a look of profound confusion appeared on the prisoner's face one quite distinct from a previous expressions of mere physical torment and although no new manipulations had been employed his entire body became grotesquely arched in agony as he emitted a single broken scream before collapsing into unconsciousness. Waken him, ordered the hooded figure. They tried, but his body still hung motionless from the ropes, hunched and twisting in its harness. He had already been revived for the last time, and his dreams of measurements and precise dimensions would no longer be disturbed, lost as they now were in a formless nonsense of nothingness. The new blackness. It isn't like that of an incessant night. The kind poked into only now and then by a few abandoned lights on a lonely street. Nor is it like that of the drab trousers, matching jacket filled out by a stranger met on such a night. It isn't even what remains after a tricky wind snuffs the tiny hysteria of a match flame which, on request, is offered by the stranger. Not like the shadows creased into the stranger's face, grinning in the limelight. Not like the sudden emptiness, his weapon weighted hand instincts. The double negative night within night of the stranger's car trunk is not remotely like it. 
It is absolutely, when all is considered, not anything like the dimness of the basement where the stranger detains his first victim, nor like the blindness with which he slowly, with regrettable invention, afflicts his victim. Not like it, too, is the gloom of an attic where a second victim, starving for days, feasts upon decomposing birds, which the stranger stealthily traps and laboriously defeathers before the eyes of his famished victim, bound to a chair within the shuttered shed behind the ruined apartments. A third victim ultimately discovers that twelve dense nights of radical, though very amateur, surgery does not even come close to it. And other victims, far too numerous to mention, experience various shades of types of lightness that are equally unlike the new blackness of their future. For the new blackness keeps no secrets, and the new blackness touches without pain. In it, there is nothing to know or remember about who you once might have been. Which of the stranger's victims were you? Fortunately, such troubling issues cannot raise themselves when there is no one left to care one way or the other. Perhaps you were even that shabby madman himself who saved his worst and most reliable torments to propel his own life into the mercies of the new blackness. Is he there with you? You with him? I am glad I cannot see your faces. The new silence. There is no preparation for it, even the absence of unexpected. The painfully desired sound is an absence of infinitely grosser dimensions. The telephone keeping stern vows, its coiled throat and knots, the supremely indifferent device and the sound it doesn't make can merely hint at the higher absence. Of course, such hints are restricted to certain peak phases of desolation suffered by certain imaginations, ones with a prayer of defense. Remember those rooms so stale, so dim, that the dust seems to glitter with a final crackling luminescence precedent to ultimate gloom? Why doesn't that filthy thing ring? What lunatics people sometimes choose for their first serious fall into human affection? Ring... You eternal machine, unspeaking heart of hell, then it does. Remember its message. Tonight in the park, by the far wall, the one with the stone heads on it, that look like dragons. And make it late, so the tones of the tormentor finally get through, with only minor interference from a temperamental receiver. But tonight, no spooks within the wires would interfere with their messages. However... The meeting begins strangely. Having apparently arrived first, he huddles in the ample shadows of the wall with the heads of stone. Only his voice seems to have kept the appointment, saying, Closer, come closer. He will not comply with even the politest request to move out into the moonlight, no matter how frightened someone is, no matter how much someone needs to be reassured that it is really him crouching there. For by now, anyone could tell that the voice is a fantastic imitation. And when the imposter finally does shake off the shadows and steps forth, someone is sorry for ever wanting her poor secret of wish granted. Now every sound seems the maddening drip of oceans of evil, blasphemy cooed near the ear of the blood sacrifice, a roaring sweat that ultimately evaporates into the sweet nothing of the new silence. 
For in the new silence, no voice deceives you. And in the new silence, you cannot hear yourself weep. All voices are one in the new silence. You must now know what it is he did to you and later to himself. You must now speak to each other in the language of the new silence. So who was he? And who now are you? I'm glad I cannot hear you answer. You are listening to the Nighttime Short Stories Podcast, where we read a new short story from long ago to modern day authors every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you know of anyone that you think would enjoy the podcast as well, please be sure to share it out. Again, thank you for listening. Transcendent Horror Those bells ringing on the mist-covered mountains signify that the master of the temple is dead. The fact of the matter is that the monks there finally killed them. It seems that a few years ago, the master of the temple began to exhibit some odd and very unpleasant forms of behavior. He apparently lost all sense of earthly decorum, even losing control over his own body. Once an extra head spread it from the side of the master's neck, and this ugly little thing started to issue all sorts of commands and instructions to the monks, which only their lofty sense of decency and order prevented them from carrying out. Eventually, the master of the temple was confined to a small room in an isolated part of the monastery. There, this once wise and beloved teacher was looked after like an animal. For several years, the monks put up with the noises he made, the divers' shapes he took. Finally, they killed him. It is whispered among students of the Enlightenment that one may achieve a state of being in which enlightenment itself loses all meaning, with the consequence that one thereby becomes a subject to all manner of strange destinies. And the monks, after the assassination, they scattered in all directions. Some hid out in other monasteries, while others went back to live among everyday inhabitants of this earth. But it wasn't as if they could escape their past by fleeing it, no more than they could rid themselves of the old master by killing him. For even after the death of his master's self, the master of the temple sought out those who were once under his guidance, and upon these unhappy students he now bestowed somewhat insistently his terrible illumination. The Old Nonsense and the New How serious was the old nonsense? How terrible was it? How sad these seem ridiculous questions now, but at the time never are, for at just the right moment they can seize the brain and squeeze it like something gone soft in the sun. And even when the sun is at its height, night may fall even when golden light leans over a nice clean city. Indeed, from the lofty vantage of a 43rd floor, Everything looks especially polished, sterling streets, dazzling, semi-precious sidewalks, windows locked diamond-wise into the other big buildings, spreading out there for miles. What a promising place this is. Here everything is possible and nothing otherwise. No, likelihood linked, leading to success, linked to catastrophe, even for the newest comer, loitering two score and three stories above terra incognitaville. And though this hallway is long and quiet and empty, there is still no loneliness. 
There, look behind. A door is opening. The one leading to that supply room. Turn around. The man is sneaking out of that room. Doesn't appear as if he's had any business being up here. Then again, maybe he too is simply intent on staring out the window and dreaming about the future. But he walks right past the window and in passing sends someone crashing through it with just one good shove of the shoulder. 43 floors is a long way to fall. And in those last screaming moments, someone wonders how anyone could be duped by all this ludicrous glitter. How anyone could bear confronting the face of a world that rives in darkness without a moment of relaxing its blinding and inexcusable smile. How easily the old nonsense leads us on and on. Neither warnings nor answers delivers us to a nonsense that seems so different, so new. For the new nonsense promises no punchlines or apologies, and the new nonsense peels itself back to reveal nothing within. No one is even left to know that nothing is there. How did you manage to take leave of that twinkling city without going any place? After you finished falling, where did you land? Where are you now? Where did you go? I'm glad your responses do not make sense in those dreams I have of you. You have been listening to the Nighttime Short Stories podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and come back every Friday night at 9.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new author of the week. Thank you for listening. Until next time.